very grateful to God for his compassion, right? And for his, his goodness on us through uh, difficult circumstances and uh, difficult times. God is just very, very good. I encourage you to turn to, to Mark chapter 9 with me. This morning, as church, we're observing the uh, 44th anniversary of uh, Roe v. Wade. Uh, we, saw, we observed that by thinking of uh, sanctity of life and uh, what do we as, as Christians do in a culture that has, in, in many ways, uh, rejected uh, God's uh, value on life, and, and how do we as, as people who love God, proclaim God's love for people, for life? And how do, we, uh, how do we consider how to care for the weak, for the vulnerable, for those who are orphans or at risk? That's uh, what we're thinking about this morning. And encourage you, as, as uh, the Lord works in your heart, to consider how God might have you to be involved in caring for those who are weak, uh, who are fatherless. There is a uh, handout you should have received as you came in this morning that kind of describes some of the things that our uh, Bethany Fellowship of Churches are doing, the Open Hearts, Open Homes Ministry. talks a little bit about safe families, a ministry that we're partnering with to practice hospitality to those in need. There's a response card in there if God would call you to be involved in this ministry in other ways, encourage you to be a part of, you know, check out the table in the hallway and, and kind of consider some things there. Uh, there's a, a spring Bible study that starts April 23rd. For those of you who may be interested in adoption, you say, okay, I, I'm interested in considering adoption, but where do I even start? Uh, that Bible study is a great place to begin. You'll be around other people who have, who have been through this and can, can help you think through all the things you need to think through. Uh, then there's a, a safe families training that is in, uh, being offered at our church building on February the 11th. And uh, we want to be creative. We're going to encourage as many families, as individuals as possible to uh, engage in this ministry as God calls you to. Well, this morning we're looking at Mark chapter 9, a little bit of a break from our series in the Pentateuch, and I'm going to, to not be preaching next Sunday, and so there'll be another break there. And then we'll return to the Pentateuch uh, the following week. But this morning we're in Mark chapter 9. And if you're able to, if you would stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together. Mark chapter 9, uh, beginning in verse 14. Jesus has just come down from the Mount of Transfiguration with James... Peter, James, and John. And in verse 14, it says, And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed, and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. 
And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to him, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. The boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. You may be seated. May God encourage us through his word this morning. Father, please be gracious to us. Continue to show your kindness and compassion to us, and let us show compassion to others as well. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Caring for orphans and at-risk children is so very, very hard. When we ask a person to engage in this type of ministry, we're asking them to enter into a, a broken world. And just like it's impossible to get close to a, a campfire without smelling of smoke and, and, and feeling the heat from that fire, it's impossible to to come into a broken world and, and interact with it without feeling that the heat from that, without feeling affected by that encounter. I was reading a, a story on NBC recently about a, a woman and her husband. They gave the woman in the story the name Sage, and they said Sage is a, a woman in her late 30s, and she and her husband decided to adopt a child from another country. The little girl was about four years old. And so Sage traveled to this country and she interacted with this child. And, and things were rough from the very beginning. She'd be interacting with this child and the caseworkers would be there and everything would be okay. And, and the, these women would leave the room and it would just be Sage and this, this child and the child would begin to spit in her face and to, to kind of attack her physically and, and Sage didn't know what to do. She thought, well, maybe once we get home, I'll know how to interact with her better. She'll be in a safe environment. When they were traveling and they were in the hotel, whenever Sage would take a shower, she'd come out and this, this little girl would, have, would, would destroy the entire room, just uh, just destroy everything that she could get her hands on. Anything that would break, she would be broken as, as this girl just acted out in very violent ways. Sage brought this little girl into her home, but instead of things getting better, things, things escalated. They continued to get worse, and this little girl would, would throw these temper tantrums is too light of a word, just, just these, she'd have these fits of rages and and this, this girl who had been abused by others now began to abuse Sage's little daughter who was younger. She abused her emotionally, telling her things like, your mommy doesn't love you, and your daddy doesn't love you. She would harm and abuse this girl physically, sexually. It was horrendous. 
Sage was at the end of herself, and she and her husband had made this commitment to care for this girl, and yet they realized they didn't have the, the resources with which to, to do so. And, and they, they took this girl, and they had to give her to another family. And, and Sage just left this entire process completely and utterly broken. I tell you the story of, of Sage because it's, it's a story out there. You know, it's, it's not telling you a story about a specific family in our church. But know this morning that I could. I could tell you the story of, of families in our, our church who have been through similar circumstances. Some families in our church, or our, our sister churches, would say, yeah, that's very similar to what I experienced. Some would say, I experienced something that was similar but not that. It was bad but in a different way. Some would say, they would tell you what I, what I went through is worse than that. Why would we invite people in our church to engage in this type of ministry? In fact, not invite, why would we encourage? Why would we encourage and provide for people to enter into ministries like this? The short answer is because God tells us to, right? We are our people who have experienced the compassion of God. God has been compassionate on us, we who were sinners, and he's, he's entered into our world, and he has shown compassion on us. And now, you and I are people who cannot help but show compassion toward others, even those who are hurting profoundly. We, as believers who have been transformed by the gospel, cannot help but act when we see need. We see the broken, and because our hearts have been transformed by the power of God within us, we can't help but act. We can't help but when we see a broken child show compassion and and strive to meet that child's needs, we can't help it. But if we can't ignore needs, how can we prevent ourselves from being overwhelmed as we try to meet them? That's what I want us to think about as we look at Mark chapter 9 together. This text addresses the reality of of being overwhelmed as we seek to enter and and try to heal a broken world. And I'm I'm using the phrase broken this morning, and and I want to use it carefully. Don't think this morning, oh, Daniel is using the word broken because he doesn't like using the word sin or the word fallen. What I'm trying to communicate when I use the word broken is that as we enter a broken world, we're not just talking about entering a world that's, that's the way it is because of one individual's sin or, or my personal sin. I'm talking about, when I say use the word broken, I'm talking about sin, yes, but even more than sin. Just the reality of living in a world that is affected by sin. Our sin, other people's sin, the physical fallen world. That's why I'm using the word broken this morning. And as I use that word this morning, what I want to do is I want to take what I believe is the the main point of Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 14, the main point that Mark is trying to communicate, and Matthew and Luke mentioned this story as well, and and I think the main point that's being trying to communicate here is that Jesus 
is the glorified Christ, who is the great healer, and you and I are to cry out to him in need. I think that's what Mark is trying to tell us, that, that we are to, to cry out to God for his aid to, to Jesus, who is the great healer. I, I think that's what Mark is trying to convey here. Now, I want to take that main idea, and I want to apply it to a special group of people here this morning. I, I want to apply it to the people and in a special way, talk through the application of that principle to those who are parenting, caring for orphans and at-risk children. And I want to do that for a couple reasons. First of all, I think that we as a church need to care for these families in a special way. We are not just individuals or, or couples or families coming in here and saying, okay, I've got my family and you've got your family. We are a, a community of faith. We are a community of believers. And so we have a, a community-wide responsibility to care for those families that we have called to engage in this difficult ministry. And so I, I want to speak to them in a special way this morning. And I think it's important for those of us who are not going through some of these difficult circumstances to empathize and understand what our brothers and sisters in Christ are going through because some of them are going through profound times of pain right now. And we need to know about it and be aware of it. And as Galatians tells us, we need to bear one another's burdens and we need to be aware of how to do so. And then also that the application here is targeted but It can also be broadened as you hear what the Lord says about crying out to Jesus. My encouragement simply this morning for those of you who are parenting in a broken world or those of you who are single or don't have children at home who are loving people who are parenting in a broken world, my encouragement to you is to continue to persevere to believe in the glorified Christ who's the great healer of all things broken. My encouragement to you is with the Father in this story to cry out to Jesus, I believe, I trust in you, help me in my unbelief. The first thing I want to talk about together this morning is is the problem with parenting. The problem with parenting, and we encounter this in in verses 14 through 22 as we we see Jesus and his disciples. They're coming off the Mount of Transfiguration. And the interesting thing about this story of Jesus healing this demon-possessed boy, this this demonically influenced young child, the, the neat thing that we see about this story is it occurs both in not only in Mark, but also in Matthew and Luke. And not only does it occur in all three of those Gospels, but it occurs in the same place in all those Gospels. In other words, the story that precedes it and the story that follows it are the same in Matthew and Mark as well, or Matthew and Luke as well. What happens is you have this the story of the transfiguration where Jesus takes Peter, James, and John to the top of this mountain and the, the disciples are able to see Jesus glorified. In a visible form, they see Jesus as the Son of God and they are, they are eyewitnesses of his majesty there and then they see Elijah and Moses with Jesus and the topic of their conversation is the cross. They see the glory of Jesus visibly, then they come back down literally off of this mountaintop experience into what you might call the real world. 
And as they come down off of this mountaintop experience, they encounter this scene. A father who is parenting in a broken world. What is the problem with parenting? The problem with parenting is that parents are broken people in a broken world, surrounded by by broken people, parenting a broken person. That's the problem with parenting. We are parenting in a broken world. There's kind of five things in this passage that I think are helpful for parents to know and to believe about brokenness. The first is this. You are in a broken physical world. Now, that's not necessarily well worded, but what I mean is this. The the physical world in which you exist is, is broken. It's not as it ought to be. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says, creation with with eager longing, waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. In other words, the world in which you and I exist right now physically is broken. There are physical things that happen in this world that represent its brokenness. Revelation 21 talks about it a new creation, the new heaven, the new earth, the the new Jerusalem, and it it talks about in this this new place, these physical ailments are going to be done away with. Right now, though, you and I are parenting in a broken world. This father parents in a broken world physically. The Gospel of Mark makes us well aware of the physical struggles that people in Jesus' day are going through. Yes, there are spiritual struggles, but also there are physical structures and uh, struggles. In Mark chapter 1, we have a a leper. In Mark chapter 2, we have a paralytic. In Mark chapter 3, we have a person with a shriveled hand. This father fathers his child in a world that is broken physically. Second thing we understand, you're in a, a broken spiritual world, right? You're in a broken spiritual world. Father deals with the effects of the demonic realm. Jude, verse 6, talks about demons who didn't keep their, their, their proper spheres of authority. Second Peter describes that as well. Ephesians 6 tells us we, we don't wrestle just against physical things, but the spiritual world as well. This father is dealing with a broken spiritual world. The demonic realm has affected his his child in a a terrible way. He he would tell Jesus in verse 17, a spirit makes him mute and talks about the spirit seizing him and the things that the spirit does to him. The spirit sees Jesus and it convulses, it causes the boy to be convulsed. In other words, the spiritual world affects this, this boy in a physical way and in a spiritual way. This man's son is under assault by this spirit. It seeks to destroy him, the Father will tell Jesus. And that is the objective of the the fallen spiritual realm. It seeks to deceive and it seeks to destroy. At summer camp uh, this year with the the youth, or last year with with the youth, there was a a speaker and and he was talking about uh, ministry. And he, he mentioned this time where he and his wife felt under special spiritual attack. And he, he talks about 
this, this story where he said, you know, I think we were sensing the presence of a, a demonic spirit, and he kind of talked about how that affected them physically, and I, I'm at the back of the room, right, and I'm, I'm seeing the speaker, and between me and the speaker are all these kids, and I'm seeing these kids, you know, kind of like start to, to kind of freak out a little bit, and I'm thinking, okay, we are about to get a lot of questions about this, and sure enough, he starts talking, the kids break into their different small groups, and within about three minutes, you know, kids are popping up to come back to us, hey, we come talk to our group, we come talk to our group. Went to talk to one of the groups and they said, okay, Daniel, what is, what's the deal here? What is he talking about, these, these demons? And, our, you know, they're at camp, right? So they're already kind of a little nervous, maybe some of these, these middle school kids. And they said, you know, when we go back to our dorm tonight, there's going to be a demon there. And I said, well, here's the deal, guys. Um, you don't have to worry about someday facing a demon. Uh, you're encountering, encountering the, the spiritual demonic world all the time. That did not make them feel better. <laughs> I said, no, no, you understand. There's a spiritual force in the world made up of these, these fallen angelic beings that are, are seeking to deceive you about how, how to think and how to act. And they're seeking your destruction. This is not something that is just kind of theoretical. You're, you're facing it already. Some of you are, are parents who've seen the demonic realm enter into your lives in a very frightening way. You are parenting in a world that is not just broken physically, where you just have to worry, okay, I need to worry about how to provide physically for my family in a world that is cursed. You are parenting in a world that is populated by spiritual beings who want to deceive your children and destroy them spiritually and physically by any means possible. The thing I encouraged those families or those individuals with, those kids, would be the same thing I encourage you with. God's got this under control. But that's a reality. As father, parents in this world, you live in this world, It's an incredible challenge. You have an adversary like a raging lion wanting to devour and destroy. Here's the third thing. You're around broken people. You're around broken people. Now, I want you to see this scene that Jesus sees as he and his disciples come down from this mountain. There's this this hurting person in the crowd with his son, and he is surrounded by broken people. The scribes are broken. The scribes are there arguing with the disciples. What should the scribes have been doing? The scribes should have been the people who said, hey, uh, here's the Messiah. And the, the scribes should have recognized that reality. The scribes should have recognized, hey, Jesus, he's the Messiah. He's the one that all these things we've been reading point to. They should have come to Isaiah 61. And they should have said, Isaiah 61. This is the one upon whom the Spirit of the Lord is. This is the one who's bringing good news to the poor, who's going to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, 
to, to comfort those who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. The scribes should have seen this man and his son in their suffering, and they should have enveloped them and said, hey, we have got the person to point you to. And they should have taken him with joy to Jesus, the Messiah, for healing. That's not what they did. These scribes are broken. The scribes are sitting there arguing with the disciples. The scribes, a few chapters ago, are arguing about hand-washing, for crying out loud. The scribes have accused Jesus of being demon-possessed. Now, this is hard for me as a pastor to say, but those who are in positions of spiritual authority are broken people. They are not going to care for you as you deserve. The Father is surrounded by a broken crowd. This crowd should have been a crowd that repented when they saw the beauty of the Messiah and and brought this Father and his his demon uh, affected child to Jesus. The disciples are broken people, and this father is surrounded by these disciples who had been with Jesus, who knew Jesus, and should have understood in and of ourselves, the disciples should realize we don't have the ability to deal with this. Jesus is, is the one to whom we should point this father and his son. The disciples didn't get it. Now, here's why this is so hard for me. If you are a parent, In this broken physical world, in this broken spiritual world, the reality is that you are going to be surrounded by people who are also broken who are going to fail you. We are going to fail you. And it hurts to say that, but it's the reality. You can imagine the frustration of this father as these disciples are completely and utterly ineffective in dealing with him and his son. Jesus, in his reaction here, is, is firm, but you can sense his frustration in verse 19 as, as, as he says, Faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to, to bear with you? Bring him to me. Which is the only answer for this, this young child. Here's, here's a secret you may not know. Or a secret you may not have realized about yourself, even in the church. We have a temptation to believe that we can save people. That we can heal people. We want to be the saviors oftentimes instead of pointing people to the Savior. And we, and we may not even consciously think that. But the reality is we are broken. And we are going to fail one another in, in profound ways at times. And the answer to that is not to be discouraged. It's not to, to be angry at one another. But it's to, to recognize our complete, absolute ineffectiveness in dealing with one another's problems. To continually ask one another for forgiveness. And to continue to point people to Jesus. You're around broken people, parents. Another thing to realize here, and number four, you are loving a broken child. 
you are loving a broken child. Now, I use the word broken intentionally here. You say, well, is, is this child a, in chapter 9 a, a sinner? Well, well, yes. But is there something else besides sin taking place here? Yes. There's some extraordinary circumstances going on in the life of this child. And, and, and you see here, this child is seized by a spirit. It's, it's, the child is seized down. He foams. He grinds his mouth, his teeth. He becomes rigid. You see that he's convulsed even as he's brought to Jesus. He, he rolls about. This, this demonic spirit the, the father tells Jesus has physically tried to, to throw him into, to, he's, he has cast him into fire and into water, trying to destroy him. Now, if you're trying to talk to this father about his child, that needs to be taken into account, right? You don't tell the father, your parenting techniques, clearly something's wrong here. You recognize that, that there are some things, this, it's, there's a lot going on here is what I'm saying. You and I, as we parent broken children, understand that at times there are, parent, there are children who have been through some very traumatic experiences and the way in which we care for them is affected by that. Is this child a sinner? Yes. Is this child affected by sin that's been committed against him? Absolutely. And as we come into children who have been the victims of of sin against them, it affects how we parent and how we understand. And and here would be just, and I, I hope this is true for us already, but what I would encourage each of us as we see children in our church, we'd say, okay, first of all, when I, when I encounter a child who is struggling to, to function rightly, I, understand, I, I first of all acknowledge I don't know what's going on in the life and the heart of that child. And so I approach them with incredible graciousness and care, recognizing that brokenness goes far beyond just in an individual's sin. And then also, and I hope this is already true, but I'm going to say it because those of you who are parenting children in tough circumstances need to hear me say it and need to to know that everyone in here understands this. Whenever I encounter a child in the hallway who is having a meltdown or is having some sort of incredible time of displaying their fallenness and their brokenness, when I see that, I don't say, I know what that child needs, some better parenting. If I was a parent, that's what I do right now. Do something that rhymes with Hank with that kid. You know? <laughs> it's not it, guys. It's not it. You don't know. Parents, we don't know. We don't know what's going on in the heart of that child. We don't know what you're going through. We don't know, we, we don't know a lot of things. And how you parent a child who's been affected by trauma, it's, it's, it's difficult. 
It's difficult. It's not just a, a simple, well, I'm just going to do these three steps and they're going to turn out okay. They're broken. They're broken. Uh, all children are broken. Jerry Sanderson, I think, had some very wise counsel one time for me. He said, look, Daniel, this is, this is, this is how we have to think. If, if over here is where we want children to be, fully functioning adults, this is, this, is, this is all the healthy things you could ever hope for a child. He says, what you need to understand is that, that many children begin that journey here. Okay? Many children begin that journny here, and when you encounter a seventh grader in the youth group at church, a, a child who began the journey here is now here. Okay? And you say, okay, praise God for that. But what you also need to understand, and what all of us as a church need to understand, and, and brothers and sisters, I encountered women between the services with tears in their eyes when they heard, as they talked to me about me saying this in first service. What you and I as a church need to understand is that there are some children in our church who began over there. And God, by his grace, has brought them to here. We're going to call that a win. We're going to call that God's grace. And we're not going to say because a child is here, the parents are bad, or this is bad, or that. We're going to say, God, thank you for your grace, and we understand that they are broken, and we are continuing to trust in you to bring them as far as you will. By your grace. We don't parent every child the same way. We don't assume we know. We understand children are broken. They are broken because of their sin. They're broken because of the sin of those around them. They're broken because of things that have happened to them. Sixth, uh, fifth thing here. If, if everything else was great, if everything else was perfect, if, if they... If, it wasn't a broken physical world for your child or a spiritual world. We, they weren't around any broken people. They weren't broken themselves. There would still be one significant obstacle that your child faces, and that is this. You are a broken parent, right? You're a broken parent. Look what Jesus does here. Jesus asks the father in verse 21 how long this has been happening to him, and the father says from childhood. In other words, this father has had to deal with this, this entire uh, kid's life. And, and, and he says it's, it's, this is what has happened to him. And then he says to Jesus, but if, if you can do anything, I, I, I mean, I, I'm, at, I'm at my end. The disciples can't help me. The crowds can't help me. The scribes can't help me. My, my wife and I, presuming that, that his wife is still alive, there's nothing we can do. It's, this is a a, a constant battle for us to protect this child. Now, if there's anything you, you can do, look, look right now on us in our need and please just have compassion and act. And Jesus says, if, if, hey, all things are possible if you believe. He says that to the father so that this, this dad will respond in the way that each of us must respond when we encounter the end of ourselves and the reality of being broken people, the Father responds with, with this statement that is really the essence of the gospel message, right? He says, I believe. I believe. I trust you. Help my unbelief. In other words, I, I, know that my, I know that my belief is not a work. I, it's not something that I've, I've been able, I 
did perfect belief, and now you must act. I'm trusting in you, and as I trust in you, I'm trusting in you to continue to help me trust in you. That, that's what we do when we, we place our faith in Jesus Christ. We say, okay, I, I cannot save myself. I'm trusting in you, and I'm trusting that you will allow me to continue to trust in you. So many of you are at this point. You're at this point where you're beyond yourself. You've done everything humanly possible to help your child, and it has been insufficient. And you think that's a bad thing, and certainly it's a sad thing. But God in his mercy has brought you to a point where all you can do is cry out to God in faith. I believe, help my unbelief. So dear, dear uh, woman who serves in our orphan ministry, and, and she was, she just serves tirelessly, and she was telling me about a circumstance. She said, here's where we are in the circumstance, and uh, there are three options that I don't see. Another, there's these three options, and this one leads here, and this one leads here, and this one leads there. That's bad, that's bad, that's bad. What are we going to do? I said, I, I don't know. <laughs> You're right. All, all of these paths lead somewhere bad from, from a human perspective. That's what happens when you engage in a broken world. Sometimes there, there are no happy endings. A pastor from another church was dealing with some of the effects of the orphan care ministry, and he, and he said, Daniel, why is this ministry going so badly? I said, what do you mean? He said, well, this family's going through this. 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 I said, well, what'd you expect? (laughs) When you enter a broken world, you feel the effects of a broken world. That doesn't mean the ministry's going badly. It means it's being effective. If you and I can live in a a cloistered environment at Bethany Community Church and, and only be around perfect people, and I'm using the word perfect incredibly sarcastically. If we can be around people who can fake perfection and not be around any broken people, my, how we've failed, right? But God in his grace allows us to enter a broken world and care for broken people and love broken children. Shame should not be something you struggle with as a parent at Bethany Community Church. Some of you do. You shouldn't. Shame is something that keeps us from coming to Christ, clinging to him, experiencing the glory of a crucified, resurrected Christ, that helps us in our pain. Let's talk about the hope. Let's talk about the hope of parenting. The hope of parenting, we're just going to touch on this quickly. We see here this, this, this man cry out to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief, and, and Jesus begins to act. He shows compassion and he, he shows authority and he deals with the situation as only he can 
And then the disciples ask, why couldn't we do this? And he says, look, this, this can't be driven out by anything but, but prayer. In other words, prayer is this, this, this action, this manifestation of, of faith, and there's no other way to, to deal with this but through faith. Three things, three implications. How do I live in light of this reality? How do I manifest this trust? What does it mean to believe? How do I enter this fallen world? Here's one thing. I believe I am frail and broken. This man doesn't come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I believe, and here's three evidences of my belief. He says, look, Jesus, I believe. Now, I just, I'm, I'm not justifying myself. I'm not saying, look, Jesus, I, I parented perfect, and so why is this happening? He just says, look, this is what I'm dealing with. This is how I've come. I'm frail. Help me in my own belief. If you are a parent who rightly comes to God in faith, this must be what you acknowledge as well. Look, I, I need help. I need the saints at Bethany community. I need people to come around me. I'm frail. I'm broken. What else does this mean? It means that I, I believe that Jesus is a sovereign healer of the broken. The basis for the Father's plea is Jesus' compassion. Now, that Jesus is a sovereign healer of the broken doesn't guarantee that circumstances with your child will turn out the way that you want them to. That's not what's promised here. This man endured the situation with his, with his son for year after year after year after year, and God's call on him was to continue to, to trust in him. And the same is true for you and me. I, I talked to someone earlier who talked who, in between services who mentioned a situation with a child that he dealt with for over 20 years, two decades of just this year after year, wondering how this thing was going to go. God's promise is not for a quick fix. God's call on you is to continue in moment by moment as you suffer and as you go through difficult circumstances as a broken parent in a broken world, God's call on you is to cry out, I, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe in you in this circumstance and I'm, help me continue and help me in the, in, the, in the areas where I doubt you. And the call on God for all of us is to help our brothers and sisters in that process. Thirdly, I I believe that I must continue to cry out to God to sustain me and and heal all things broken, right? I continue to cry out to God. He says, this doesn't come out by by any means but by prayer. And prayer is this, this visible manifestation, this action that recognizes our inability. If you're not praying, you're not having faith, right? If you're not praying, you're not really believing that it's only God who can work in this circumstance. This is hard stuff, right? If we are followers of Christ, we cannot help but enter into a broken world. As you and I see needs, we cannot help but enter into them. My encouragement to you would would be to to think about how God would have you care for the fatherless, to go check out the table, to to look at different materials that we have and say, okay, I I want to enter this ministry. Someone asked me when they were thinking about becoming a member of the church, they said, okay, I want to become a member of the church. Um, Do I have to adopt or is that optional? I said, you definitely should not be adopted. No. Um, I said, no, 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 no. It's actually, it's it's a small percentage of our church who's adopted it just permeates our church in some neat ways. But we do believe that, that every person who's part of our church has a responsibility to practice compassion. And one of the ways that our church practices compassion is through 
caring for the fatherless. And so we encourage every person to show compassion, to illustrate to a, a hurting, broken world God's love for them. By God's grace, may we continue in his strength, through his enabling, to trust in the glorified Christ, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, and he talks about that right after this passage, who died on the cross in order to deal with the brokenness, the fallenness, the sin of this world, so that we could have a relationship with God and eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your, your son. We thank you for the life that we have. We, we pray for those of us, all of us who are broken. We pray for your mercy upon us. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.